Pottercast with Bryce Drew in three, two, one. Welcome to another edition of the Pottercast. I'm Michael Potter. Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, we're joined now by Bryce Drew. Bryce Drew, of course, the head coach of Grand Canyon University now, of course, uh, famous for the shot in the 1998 NCAA tournament. And, uh, oh, yeah, by the way, an NBA career and coaching at a couple stops along the way. But, Coach, thanks for being on the show. Oh, it's great to be on with you, Micah, and um, enjoy working with you through the year, covering uh, GCU basketball for us. I don't get to hear you during the game, but I uh, <laughs> always enjoy our, our talks afterwards. Well, thanks for being with us. This is kind of just to get to know Bryce Drew, and I mentioned, you know, guys my age, they remember the shot in, in 1998 in NCAA tourney. It's, it's kind of people expect these upsets now, but back then – it was a novel thing. What was that experience like, and what did you guys expect going in? You're playing Ole Miss number four, and these, these upsets, this this whole Cinderella thing wasn't happening that often back then. You know, it, it definitely was not, and uh, we were seniors. We had uh, seven seniors on the team. We had been at the NCAA tournament. That was our third straight time there. We had uh, lost the previous year a heartbreaker that we felt like we should have won. And so it was kind of our last go around. Everything was going into, uh, you know, our, our senior run in the tournament. And uh, thankfully, you know, we were able to get a couple wins, made the Sweet 16. And we actually went to the Sweet 16 before Gonzaga did. So if you go back and look at it, Gonzaga went in 1999 at Valparaiso. We were the mid-major. We went in 1998. And um, and so we were one of the first to kind of break through um, with the power fives and, and make a deep run in the tournament. Were they even doing the one shining moment before that year? Like I it that almost kind of started it all because that sh I mean, back then it wasn't like TNT and TBS and all these other stations. You had to watch CBS and then they had to flip to the game if it was a tight game. And so a lot of people might have missed that, and they couldn't go out and watch it on YouTube or get an Instagram feed of it. Oh, I mean, we were so excited because I think the two outlets, like you said, were CBS and then ESPN would show highlights. <laughs> right. And we went back to the Holiday Inn. You remember the old <laughs> Holodomes? That's where we were staying for the tournament. And we went back, and they showed our highlights on ESPN. And I remember our team all in a room and how excited we were watching those highlights in the room, but but what a different time! And uh, there was one shining moment, though I know that there for was? sure. Okay. I, I always loved that song, <laughs> and uh, it was definitely around. It's a different rendition; they've kind of changed it through the years. But the original words and song uh, were definitely there. Well, yeah, I mean, everything's changed. The world, basketball, everything now as a head head coach here at GCU. But three in a row. I mean, I don't think people understand even back then and now how difficult it is to even get to the tournament, let alone win a couple games in the tournament. You, you know, you, you definitely uh, have to have a lot of breaks go your way. Um, you know, injuries play such a big part in college basketball. And then also timing um, when you play certain teams, how your team's playing at, at, at certain points of the season. And, you, you know, any, any time, you know, I've been very, um, very, very blessed. I've been able to go to the tournament three times as a player and uh, four times as a coach. And it never gets old. Mm. Um, every time feels like, like your first time. Um, just the excitement that you get to go and be part of it. And every year it gets better. You know, it gets grander every year. You know, I think there's more media that covers it every year. 
Um, and it's just such a great event for, you know, not just college basketball or for sports, but just for America in general. It's such, it's such a great event that people look forward to in March. They talk all the time about, especially mainly for football, the Power Five is breaking away and things. I don't, I don't see how you could ever do it in basketball because so much about that tournament is not necessarily always about having all the best teams in the field, but having those upsets, having those fives beat that, you know, I don't know how you could ever get away from that. You know, I, I, I've been saying for years, I wish they would expand the field uh, one more round. Mm. And whether you put, it's like 96, and then you give your top 32 teams, give them a bye in the first round. And, and I always make the debate that you can't tell me that people would not watch one more round just as much as they watch the rounds yeah. right now. Because the games are so exciting. Part of the reason they're exciting is just what you said, the matchups, the teams that, that, that will never schedule each other during the year that now you get to see them, and it's only a one-game tournament at that point. Um, and sometimes the best team does not win. Um, it's a team that plays better for those two hours, and, and that's, uh, that's one of the things that makes that tournament so exciting. So take me back to, to the, the Drew family growing up. I have this impression. It was just basketball 24-7. <laughs> what was it like growing up in the Drew household? Um, my mom and dad were really balanced. Uh, my dad, he was a college basketball coach, and so that's kind of how my brother and I got into it. My sister was an All-American player. You know, but but he was really wanted us to do other sports, and he never pushed basketball. Um, I really, as I you know recall my childhood, there wasn't one time that that he ever like made me play or forced me to go work out. Um, you know, it was something that that I just loved doing, and 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 I started to do it more and more as I got older. And so, growing up, played baseball, played tennis, um, uh, played basketball, obviously. Um, but just did a lot of fished all the time. So just did a lot of things. And then as I got older, I kind of dropped the other sports and, and kind of just focused on basketball. When did that tra transition start to drop the others and start focusing on basketball? Uh, my freshman year of high school, it okay. was, um, you know, I, I uh, uh, had a, a good year. I moved up to varsity as a freshman and baseball season came. And it was baseball was my favorite sport all the way up until like seventh grade. And I just, all of a sudden, it was kind of like the passion for baseball just left me mm. um, right after basketball season. I remember the baseball coach coming down the hall and being like, okay, like baseball starting now, great, great basketball season. You know, you're going to be at practice, you know, this week. And I was just like, coach, I'm sorry. Like, I'm just going to focus on basketball. Like, I love it. Yeah. And, um, and it, it was kind of just funny how baseball was such a passion for me for, you know, for 14 years of my life. Then all of a sudden, it just like that passion dropped and it was all basketball. Do you like recruiting players who play multiple? I mean, there's such a race these days to pick almost like when you go to kindergarten, you got to pick a sport, yeah, right? Yeah. Do you like yeah. multiple? Do you like people focusing from an early age on just one? You know, we were talking about this the other day. You know, I have an eight-year-old son and, and other boys his age are playing these AU basketball tournaments all over the place. Yeah. And, and I thought about myself. And when I was his age, I did basketball camps and I played in the driveway. And that was it. <laughs> yeah. like, like I didn't go to all these, you know, travel teams and different things. And so, you know, I think there's different ways to do it, but I still like the well-rounded. I, I like playing multiple sports growing up. You know, I do think when you get to age 13, 14, you probably need to lock in on certain ones. I would say the one outlier is just, you know, is football. Football is mm -hmm. such a different sport with the contact and, and with the concussions, as a basketball coach, I've recruited a lot of players in high school that played football and basketball. And, and, and two of them, I recall, came in with, you know, like one had concussion issues because mm. of 
his freshman football days in high school. You know, another one broke his ankle as a sophomore, so mm. he gave up football after that. And so, you know, that that's one that's so physical. I think it's really hard, except for just your exceptional athletes, to be good, you know, in football and, you know, go on and play Division One basketball. Did you ever I, – I was talking to this one uh, coach on a radio show I was doing a long time ago, and we were asking him that question. And I said, when do you know when the time is? And he said, well – if you go to a basketball tournament, you look over and John Calipari and Tom Izzo, they're recruiting you. Maybe you should just stop and focus. On, did you ever have an experience like that where you're like, okay, I really think this is my ticket to the next level and possibly to the NBA? Uh, you know, probably my freshman year, I got a glimpse of that. Just being able to play against, you know, seniors in high school and, you know, be able to, our team had some success. That kind of gave me a taste for it. Uh, my dad, again, was a college coach. My brother was going into coaching. And so it, it just became, you know, even a deeper passion for me that I wanted to be good um, and wanted to, uh, you know, keep expanding my game and play against, you know, the best players at the time in our state, which was Indiana. So now I've met your dad since you've been here three years ago. Nicest guy in the world. What kind of type of coach was he to play for? <laughs> you know, he, he, he was um, uh, looking back, you know, he's very uh, he, he was very special because he's my dad, but also. Um, I, I still haven't had a coach or had people I've been around that, that handle people as well as, as, as him. Um, just reading people, um, pushing the right buttons with, with certain players. that With other players, it'll be totally different things that, that may motivate them. Um, but in the, the day, making everybody feel important you know, on the team. And he just had a special ability uh, to do that. Um, there were plenty of times that, that, that he was you know, very stern, and especially with his son. Um, seemed like I got more more of that than than other players, um, but um, you know I knew it was coming from a place of love and and out of a place that you know he wanted me to be successful, and and he always had a bigger vision you know in things that he did. At least he couldn't throw that. Didn't your parents raise you better? Like he couldn't <laughs> throw that one at you, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he had to leave that one yeah in the bag. <laughs> leave that one was for some other kid. <laughs> that would be I mean, yes, thank you, Dad. It's you. <laughs> <laughs> was it a competitive household? Uh, very competitive. Uh, my sister, again, she was an All-American. She, in basketball, um, extremely competitive. Uh, my brother was competitive. He played tennis um, in college for a couple years at Butler before he really fell in love with wanting to be a coach um, in basketball. Uh, my mom's dad was, uh, was a Major League Baseball scout, hmm. and so he scouted players like Tom Seaver, if you remember. He actually <laughs> pitched ba uh, batting practice to Babe Ruth. Oh, wow. Um, and then, obviously, <laughs> my dad, you know, being a coach. So, you know, it was hard whether we were playing cards, you know, whether it was who could clean the room the fastest. I mean, it seemed like everything, you know, my dad had a really good way of, of turning things into a game and making them fun, even if it wasn't a fun chore or fun thing we were doing at the time. Yeah, if you're if you're too young to know who Tom Seaver is, Google that. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was pretty good <laughs> to say that. And Babe Ruth was pretty good too. Um, I was going to ask you who who's the most competitive in your family. I've 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 I don't think I've met Scott or Dana, but reading about them, they both seem very. Com she seems very competitive. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I would say my sister. You know, she yeah. she's extremely competitive in in, in everything. Um, I think, you know, more of my competitiveness is when we step between the lines, mm. um, then, then I'm a lot different, um, from that aspect. But, you know, if we're playing cards, yes, I want to win, but like, <laughs> you know, I'm probably not going to be quite as into it. I just want to have a good time doing that kind of relax <laughs> where, where, where they're all out. Like they have to win. 
Um, and so probably my sister in, in that respect. <laughs> That's funny. I always joke with my kids. I'm like, yeah, I want to win, but I'm not trying to go pro yeah. and skip bow, you know? <laughs> I'm not trying to go pro and five crowns. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I always like to ask coaches this too. You know, as you're recruiting players, you can see skill, talent, physicality. H- how do you... I mean, are you born with a competitive mindset? Can you coach a competitive mindset? Because I see all the, all the athletes who succeed at high levels, whether it be high school, college, and especially NBA, they have a different mindset when it comes to competition than, than normal people. No question. You know, I, I, I think if you're not competitive, first you're not going to make it very high up the charts. You might get to junior high basketball, high school basketball. You know, maybe you play at, um, you know, at, at a college. But if you're not competitive, you're never going to come close to reaching your full potential or ha- as good as, as what you can be. And, and you know, in, in recruiting, you know, obviously we want guys who want to win, guys who want to compete, guys who want to get better. Um, if they don't have that, I think it's a really hard thing to change as they get older, um, you know, in those areas. I think you can work on someone's shooting. You can work on their ball handling, decision making. But in general, if they're not competitive – that's a really, really tough one, I think, to change. So you're a lot of coaches have said that to me too. That they also say it's kind of hard to tell too because there's a competitiveness at a level, and when you when you don't have success because everybody's good at the next level, how do you re, how do you respond to that? Yes, you, you know some players are just so talented that they don't maybe don't face as much adversity. You know when they're in high school or AAU. Um, or they have easier roads and, and a lot of times you don't see their true colors until you get them you know into practices mm. and, and you see on see them on a day in day out ba- basis where they have a good day they have a bad day um, how do they respond from their bad day can they carry that good day and make it multiple days in a row you know um, if they win one game do they let up the next day or do they come out and try to dominate again and those those are the things that separate you know your average player to your good player and then your good player to your great player and, and, and obviously we look for those things, but, you know, I talk to coaches all the time about it and, 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 and yes, you do as much research as you can, but a lot of times you just don't know completely until you go through time with them on the court on a day in day out basis. You know, I, I do think, you know, as you look at, at their family, maybe you look at their history, how did their, you know, how did their coaches push them? If they came from a program that they were really coached a certain way, then you feel much more um, confident that the carryover is going to be there. Like, um, you know, we have a player on our team right now, uh, Josh Baker, who's our first year with us. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he came from, you know, Hutchinson Junior College and had two really good years there with a coach that used to actually uh, coach with Coach Walker. And so we know his whole culture. And so if he can make it through two years at Hutchinson, chances are when he comes here, he's going he's gonna to respond to our coaching. And so far everything's been smooth. But that's part of that background, the homework you try to do to make sure, hey, we think as likely as possible, mm-hmm. you know, this could be a good fit and work out. Talking about recruiting, did anybody, how many people recruited you out of high school or were they like, well, he's going to go play for his dad? <laughs> Was that a given or were there other options? And did you think about those options? Uh, you know, I definitely did. You know, I had a heart issue in, in, um, in high school. I had, uh, it was called tachycardia, which was a rapid heartbeat sometimes when I would play. And I was supposed to go to the top 100 camp, I remember. And I had an episode a few weeks before, so I ended up canceling not going to the camp. And so I had many schools that, you know, were going to go see me. And they would call and be like, hey, you're going to be there. And I had to tell them the story. And really mm-hmm. about everyone dropped off except, you know, just, just a couple schools. 
And then as I came back and I, I played again in the fall and ended up, you know, having a having a, a really nice senior year. Our team was top twenty five in the country ranked. Then a lot of those schools and more came back. But I was pretty loyal to the ones that stuck with me, mm -hmm. um, you know, through the hard times. And um, at the end of the day, you know, I narrowed it down to, uh, you know, I visited Notre Dame, Stanford. Um, uh, LaSalle was one that stuck with me for a long time, so I stuck with them. And then uh, Syracuse. And so those were kind of my final – those were my, my four visits. And then I went to – ended up going to Valpo. Uh, my brother was the assistant who's now the head coach at Baylor. And then my dad was the head coach. And at the end of the day, um, I thought it was a good situation for me to play point guard. A lot of schools were going to play me at the off guard. Mm. And for me to make the NBA, I knew I had to play point. And, and I thought I had a great chance to play right away. And, you know, thankfully, I think it worked out great. And I tell people to this day, I tell recruits at GCU, I think if I'd have gone somewhere else, I might not have made the NBA because this kind of threw me in the fire day one. And I got to handle the ball for four years. And it really helped me get better um, to be able to, uh, you know, get drafted. How, how important is that? I mean, people get starry-eyed with some of the names you said, you know, Stanford, Notre Dame, Syracuse, bigger names in Valpo, especially mm -hmm. at that time. How important is the fit? For a student athlete, the, the 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 fit is 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 huge, and that that's where you know early in my coaching career, I might recruit some really talented players or players that man like we really need this position really bad, and then at the end of the day, it was like you know what like, are they going to be happy here? Like, does this really fit who they are and how we play? And 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 I think just through experience, you know, when when the young man for us or the young women, you know, for the women's team, when they fit the university. Um, then it, it's, a, it's, a much, it's a much better situation for them. And usually they perform better, they're more comfortable, they play better, and there's a better chance they're going to stay. I always tell recruits, if you're coming just for basketball, then it might be hard for you to stay four years because something's going to go wrong during that <laughs> time, and are you just going to leave? I said, if you're coming for more than that, you like our campus, you like our culture. You know, for GCU, you like the faith component to our school. Um, you like the kids on campus. Now when that bad day comes, because it's going to come, you know, are, are, are you going to run away? Or, man, this is where I want to be, so I love GCU. And I think those are the people, you know, we're trying to recruit to this team that, hey, come because of basketball. Help us, you know, do wonderful things here. But also enjoy what the campus has and what GCU represents. And I know people who, don't, who haven't been to a game here, haven't been on campus, they might roll their eyes because everybody says they're unique. This is a unique place. I mean, unashamedly, from the president down to the first-year students say, we do things different here. It's a different atmosphere. When you get kids on campus, their eyes kind of go, oh, this is, this is interesting. This isn't like any other recruit I've had. You know, like anything, you know, it takes time. It takes time for – for people to come and, and see it themselves or, you know, as, as the GCU brand grows, then I think more people start to realize that sooner than later. Mm -hmm. But many times what you just said, we'll have either a recruit or we'll call someone and, and they won't really have too much of an idea about us. But then if we can get them on a visit, you know, it changes their whole perception and, and, and what GCU is. And, and this is a very special place. Again, you know, I can't, uh, you know, I, I try to, I don't think there's anyone really in the country like us, um, just with how beautiful our campus is, everything's brand new. Um, the people are, are tremendous on campus. You know, all the food options uh, to the Phoenix weather during the year to, to our basketball environment. And so, you know, the more as time goes and the more we can get that out there, then I think the brand builds and people, you know, start to recognize it more and more. But, but it's, a, such a, it's such a neat place. And I think, you know, once you get people here to see it and experience it, then they don't want to leave. So you get to Valpo, you're going to be the point guard. You think that's your best way to get into the NBA. Was there a time when you 
I mean, as a kid, you probably like, I want to play in the NBA. But was there a time you went, I think I can do this. I think this is achievable. I really think I can actually make it. Yeah, you, you know, um, a- after my sophomore year, we lost in inter- the NCAA tournament. It was our first time making it. Mm-hmm. We played uh, Arizona um, down here. Actually, it's in Tempe at Arizona State. And it was probably the worst game of my college career. We got blown out. Um, they were bringing, if you remember these names, Michael Dickerson, Jason Terry off the bench. <laughs> these were reserves coming in <laughs> off the bench. They were so loaded. And they got upset the year before, so they were extra mad. They were upset. Yeah. And so, so after that game um, – it, it really um, lit an, uh, even a uh, um, even even a more desire to to want to be successful, and and I kind of knew exactly things that I had to work on to get better at, and I really attacked that off season, um, you know, the hardest I had in my life, and and it kind of just carried over, and you know, kind of from then I'd always get the rankings and kind of see where I was ranked compared to other guys, and I'm not ranked. This guy's ahead of me, and and I put him up on my on my uh, closet door and. And started, you know, highlighting and circling and doing things mm-hmm. and, and kind of motivated me to go out and work harder. But that's kind of when that desire to go to the NBA went to the next level. That's that competitive mindset we were talking about. You had a, had a really adverse <laughs> reaction to the yeah. first, first time <laughs> in the NCAA tournament. And some people would go, oh, well, okay, I guess that's where I'm at. Other people are like, no, I'm, I'm going to get better. And we hear that story with some, some, some pro guys, too, about Who's ahead of me? Who do I got to pass? What do I got to do? And make it a almost make it a competition all the time, even though the other person might have no idea you're competing with them. Yeah, and and you know, for me, um, again, I wanted to be successful. Same with coaching. You know, when we came in, when I became a head coach at, at Valparaiso for the first time, um, there was a team, Butler mm-hmm. uh, Bulldogs, had gone to two Final Fours, and so um, and they were in the same conference as them. So we had to, you know, Brad Stevens was the coach, so we had to, you know, figure a way how to beat them. And um, the year before, you know, my, when they went to the Final Four, we'd actually beat them um, as an assistant. My dad was the head coach. We beat Butler the year they went there. And then the next year, we were able to win the conference over Butler. Um, but we, we, we went and we studied everything and how can we beat them? How can we get better? And, you know, we took it – our program took it as a challenge mm-hmm. um, on, you know, how can we beat the top dog. And so whether it was playing or in coaching, you know, it's still the same approach. You know, you, you have to find ways, um, you know, how you can try to try to get to that top spot. So you go through, you, you guys break through three years in a row. You go to the NCAA tournament, you, you, the, the miracle shot. You win the first round. You beat Florida State. You go to the Sweet 16, and then you get beaten. You get drafted. What was that experience? I mean, did you know you were going to get drafted by that point, or, or were you like, okay, I've talked to teams. I'm going I'm to make this. Were you pretty, pretty sure about that? Uh, I had several workouts, and then um, there was a pre-draft camp, and – and things things went well there, you know, at the pre-draft camp. So my agent was pretty confident, um, but he told me, "You never know. We know what's going to happen on draft day." So, um, so you never knew, but he thought I was going to go, um, you know, somewhere in in in, in the teens there. Mm-hmm. He thought, but if I dropped, he thought I might drop to lowest twenty fourth, something like that. Um, so we felt kind of good, but again, you never know going <laughs> in. And then um, was just so pleased, you know, with the Houston Rockets. Um, you know, I got drafted by them and, you know, great people in the organization. And, um, you know, one of Phoenix's own, Charles Barkley, was on that team. So I got to play with, you know, you know Charles. And I always blame Charles that I told him he ruined my NBA career <laughs> because he was so good, as you know, catching in the post and scoring yeah. and throwing out. So our offense was I got to throw it into him and then spot up and shoot. So <laughs> it was awesome. So, so – 
best story is year two, um, our starting point guard is hurt, Steve Francis, so I got to start. So we go 3-0. and We beat the Phoenix Suns. I almost have a triple-double against Jason Kidd. We go win two more. Like, we won three in a row, and then, then the very next game – Barkley tears his tendon oh. you know, in his leg and his career is over. Yeah. And I always blame him. Like I always tell him, like, you, you ruined my career because if you would have stayed healthy, you know, I maybe could have kept playing and playing well. Yeah. The whole way. Um, yeah. And so, um, but I had a great time with the Rockets. Who else was on that team? I mean, because I was going to ask you, that was 98, right? So yeah, Bar- we, we had Barkley. We had, uh, I had three top 50 players. And so it was pretty cool. Uh, Scotty Pippen's locker was right next to me in year one. Um, Charles Barkley and Akeem Olajuwon. So we had three of the top wow. 50, you know, as a rookie. is pretty cool. Rank those three. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that, man. I, you know what? It's, he was so quiet. People don't. People don't remember how great Hakeem Olajuwon was. Yeah. You know, like I got him at the end of his career. But, yeah, his uh, – his footwork, his mobility, um, you know, his ability to, to make things look easy, how he scored the basketball. Yeah. Um, even at the end of his career, um, you know, it was amazing how he just made it so simple. You know, give it to him on the left block and he'll get a bucket. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was pretty fun to watch. What were those guys like when you came in as, as, as the rookie? Uh, you, know, you know, obviously they're professionals, so um, it's a job. You know, we all want to perform well. Um, but they were all tremendous. You know, I'd say uh, Charles – um, you know, really reached out. You know, he invited rookies over to his house for Thanksgiving. Um, mm. just did a lot of things um that were great, I think, for team building. And um and he's never, as you know, he he, he was never um short on the side of making a joke or something or, or making making something fun, you know, that wasn't fun. So um, you know, some of some of his uh, memories of him as a teammate are, are, are really good. Did you have? Did Scotty Pippen ever guard you in practice? No, no, thank goodness. <laughs> I, I think I think he just swallowed me up with his hands and his arms. I'd have never been able to get by him. Um, but you could tell why Scotty was so successful. He was at practice early, would get his work in early. Um, just a straight professional, and um, didn't really have a tolerance for guys that didn't work hard. Who was the coach on that squad? Uh, Rudy Tomjanovich. Rudy was there. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, how different? I mean, you played a high level, obviously, in college, and especially in the tournament against really good teams. How different is that jump from college to pro? <laughs> you, you know, it's you so, laugh it, yeah, I laugh because it's so funny because, uh, <laughs> you know, you watch film and, and you watch TV and you're like, man, that guy's barely moving or I can't believe he's missing that shot. And, yeah. man, I could play out there with them. And then all of a sudden you get out there. I think the referees, you know, told, they told us when they would talk to us too, and it's so true. It's like the game is moving so fast. Like, and, and even though it looks slow on TV, it's not like when you're on the court, like the movements and, and the actions and, and how guys drive or how they shoot, everything is so concise and like, and with so much speed and so much pace, um, it just looks so easy on TV and looks slow because everyone's just so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, one thing that you can't tell on TV too, is the length, um, of the players, you know, mm-hmm. shots that you can get off in college. You just can't get off in the NBA because because of the length you know that players have. Was that the steepest? What was the steepest learning curve for you going from the just the speed, the the the, the length and the speed. Mm. You know, shots that you think you're open and all of a sudden ah they're contested. Um, and then you know the speed in the open court of players like once some of the guards get a head of steam coming at you like there's nothing you can do. <laughs> 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 they got you, you where do. they want yeah, you. Yeah, huh? you better take a better take a good angle or take a foul. <laughs> who were who were some of the toughest guys you had to match up against to to guard or to, to or to try to try to beat offensively? Yeah, you know, I, I was better against bigger guards because mm. the bigger guards weren't as fast. 
So, like, a guy like Mark Jackson would play the back down game because I was much better, like, guarding him. Mm -hmm. um, you know, guys like Robert Pack, if you remember, like, mm -hmm. that name. Yep. Um, Stephon Marbury. You know, guys that, that, that were really fast and could get downhill. I had a much more difficult, you know, time, obviously, defending those guys. Yeah. So, um, was that – I mean, those three guys, I mean, obviously played um, with the Bulls and the Hornets. But, boy, having those three top 50 guys in your team, that had to have been probably the – the, the best I guess lineup at the top heavy that you'd ever played with oh yeah it, it mean, was so it was so fun um you know seeing those guys day in day out and just seeing the intricacies of the NBA and you know of certain players um you know Rudy was uh outstanding at handling personalities and hmm. and um and being very positive as a coach and so you know he could handle all those superstars and it was just kind of fun seeing him do it and what he would say to each guy differently um, and just how, how he how he coached. Did you always know when your playing career came to an end you wanted to get into coaching, or were there other options? Uh, it was year three thoughts? in the NBA. Year three, I was kind of like, because uh, business, I, I wanted to do something in business, but then year three, it was kind of like, like man, I can really see a lot of things out here. I just can't make them happen. <laughs> hmm. um, and 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 I love this. I'm going to do as long as I can, but when I'm done, I'm going to start you know putting all this stuff in my mind and, and use it as a coach one day. Who are the coaches that are most influential on how you go about your business now as a head coach? You know, I, I take a lot from a lot of different people. You know, I think my dad's the biggest, obviously, growing up mm -hmm. with him and, and more the blueprint of, of how he runs a program. And um, and I aspire to treat people how he treated them and to read people how he reads them. And and, um, and so he has kind of the blueprint. I think what my brother's done is simply amazing, mm -hmm. you know, down at Baylor and kind of the model he's put together there. Um, you know, guys I've talked to in my past, uh, Tony Bennett, um, you know, how he kind of helped build Virginia. Uh, Matt Painter lived really close to him, would always recruit a lot of the same tournaments with him and spend a lot of time talking with him about, you know, philosophies and different things at Purdue. Um, so those are kind of the ones that come out. And then, you know, one, one I'll throw out, you know, um, has a great basketball mind. He hasn't coached for a few years is Tim Floyd. Mm. You know, Tim was really yeah. good in college, won a lot of games. Yes. He's with the Bulls. He's with the Hornets. Um, I got to play for him with the Bulls and the Hornets. And, um, you know, we, we, we had, uh, you know, a really good relationship because he knew I wanted to coach. Mm. And so um, it was really just neat to hear, you know, all of his thoughts on coaching and different ideas and, and stuff. And so he, I, I think he, you know, has a lot of wisdom with the game. How long has Scott been at Baylor now? I, I can't even count. It's 17 or 18 17, years. Close I mean, to 20 it, years, it, It's right? something remarkable, yeah. though. That's uh, remarkable in itself. It's remarkable. To, to stay at Power 5 oh. for 20 years. <laughs> it's from he and Bill Self. I think Bill's been there 19 or 20 at Kansas. Yeah. Or 20, I mean, it's amazing with Where those the expectation two. is national championship, oh. and then it goes down from there. Yeah, it's a it, – <laughs> not, not make the tournament. Yeah, it, 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 it's been really um, – you know, fun to see just how God's worked in that yeah. program, being there with my brother on day one when he actually took the job, and now seeing where it's at. Um, you know, uh, you definitely see God's hands working. You know, down in that program. Yeah, I mean, I've obviously I've never been a president of a college. I've never been athletic director. I, I get the pressures on those guys mm -hmm. to produce winning and things. But everybody you mentioned, great coaches, great. They've been there a long time. Like, like there's something about being in one place, and I mean. Mark Few's been at Gonzaga for like 30 years from a basically a ball boy to a head coach. It's There's something about building that. Tony Bennett down at, you know, it, it takes a while to build something. It, it, it does. It takes time. I think that's one thing you look, um, you know, across the country, you know, it, it's especially um, certain schools that, that, you know, you want to require a certain culture, you know, that fits the culture. You know, I, I definitely think it takes time and, 
and again, you 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 get better each year, but um, to get really the roster you aspire and, and the program you want, it does take some some time, and it's really been fun again to see my brother's program because I thought you know in year seven, year eight, it's like man, like you've done it, it looks great. But, you know, if you fast forward and you go now, you know, he's in year 15, 16, 17, like his culture is way better even than what it was then. Like, you know, mm-hmm. they're recruiting more of a certain player now than what they did then. Um, and just what they stand for now, it's kind of become a brand of who they are. But again, it's taken, you know, almost two decades basically to get that. You look at Gonzaga the same way. You know, if you look at their first mm. Sweet 16 in 1999, you know, it took them almost two decades to become number one team in the country, you know, after that. And so, you know, like most good things, you know, if you do it right and you build it the right way with a solid foundation, it's going to take some time. Take me back to um, when, when you had the, the heart issue and the diagnosis. What was the thought process then? I mean, that medical medicine has advanced a lot since what, yeah. it had been 96 or so, 95. Take me back to that time. Um, so we had gone to a, a doctor in Indianapolis, and it was, um, there, it was an ablation technique where they, they send um, electrodes into your heart. And then they burn electrofrequency burn like the extra passageway. And so at the time they had 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 less than a hundred patients that had done it. And so my parents were kind of like, ah, like, like, you know, doc, what should, what would you, if this was your son, what would you do? And he was, the doctor was one of the best. He was the pioneer wrote books on this procedure mm. and they thought it was better for me at my age to take some medicine and wait. So I took medicine for a couple of years, which was miserable. Mm. Um, and then we went back and they had had many patients gone through and be cured and had great results. And so then we ended up, you know, having the operation. And so, um, you know, I remember I had it and a week later I was playing <laughs> and, you know, felt great. And so it was, um, it was definitely a tough time for me because at the time, like guys like Hank Gathers was at Loyola Marymount had just passed away. Reggie mm-hmm. Lewis was at Boston Celtics had just, and so I had seen his basketball players and, but at me, I think being young, you're kind of more naive too. And you think, Oh, that's not going to happen to me. Uh, my parents right. were probably more scared. Um, but I remember, you know, after, you know, I was back playing just how free I felt and how great it felt, you know, not to have the medicine and just be cured of this condition. How did your faith play into that whole situation? You know, it, it was probably a defining moment in my faith. I remember it was my sophomore year of high school, and I remember laying on the operating table. And as a sophomore, you know, you have to sign you sign the papers that say, hey, basically, if the doctors mess up, I can't sue them. Um, <laughs> the mirror's, you know, blocked out that you can't see yourself in the mirror. And my mom had given me a Bible verse, you know, before I went, and it was Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. And I remember laying on that table, looking at the mirror and just being like, like, I really have no control. Like, I love basketball. Like, 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 like I want to be great at it, but I like, have no control whether I'm going to play again or at what level I can play. And at that point, I was kind of like, okay, like, like there is, like, Jesus, you're in control of my life. There's a higher being. Like, this is all yours. Like, and I remember saying, be still, know that I am God. And it was kind of, you know, right at that moment, I kind of gave it all to him. And it was like, whatever, you know, you decide, you know, <laughs> um, you know, I want to obey. And so from there on, you know, definitely changed my perspective um, on me having control on this earth. And it changed my perspective after I was cured, you know, um, to give the honor to God. And then also just realize how thankful every day that I am healthy to be able to um, enjoy running up and down the court and play with freedom. And, and you find yourself now at Grand Canyon University. I don't know what it was like at other schools that weren't quote-unquote Christian universities didn't have a statement of faith like that but 
you know, the, the, the staff you've brought here, a lot of the players you brought here. Faith, um, you know, it's, it's up on the wall here. Faith focused family and fans, but faith is in the top left corner at the top, and that kind of really defines GCU. What's it like to be at a school like that where I don't know if you had to hide at other places or, or mm-hmm. not, or, but, but it's, you know, it, it's okay. <laughs> you can talk about it. You can be who you are. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's a great blessing for, for me that I can talk about it freely and not have to worry about media reporting on it, not worry about things that, you know, people might say, um, especially, you know, bosses not having, you know, bosses that, that would, that would, you know, say, Hey, you can't talk about your faith or can't believe you believe what you believe. Um, you know, I can truly be myself here. And I think that's part of the reason why our staff came to is that they can be themselves, um, you know, here and, and, you know, I think there's a lot of ways, you know, that you can, you can, um, express your faith, you know, for us, you know, we try to express it the best we can, how we live, you know, we're not preaching to our players every day, you know, but hopefully how we live our life and how, you know, we treat our family, you know, hopefully, you know, that rubs off on them and they kind of see how we live and then they wonder how we live. And then those discussions can come. All right, coach. Last question. Thanks for all the time. Uh, in year number three, boy, year one started weird with COVID, but with the bang, going to the NCAA tournament for the first time in school history. Um, year number three, what are your? Th- I mean, it's so early. What are your thoughts? I mean, we're doing this in September. What are your thoughts? How excited are you for this season? We're really excited. We love our group. We got a um, a hardworking um, a group of guys. We have guys that really get along well together. Um, and we have guys that, that, that truly want to win. You know, I, I, uh, they, they want to represent GCU in a great fashion, and, and they want to win. Um, with that said, you said it, like you said, it's early. We have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of, <laughs> a lot of new players um, that we need to, you know, speed up the process of, of really adapting what we want to do and getting good at it, not just knowing it, but getting good at it, you know, before our first games in November. All right, Coach, I lied. I got one more question. Okay. Obviously, the president here, Brian Mueller, was a basketball coach back in the day. Got a lot of basketball knowledge. Mm-hmm. But how cool is it, too, to look over? And sometimes you'll look over and you're coaching and you'll see Brian sitting there, Homer Drew sitting there, and Jerry Colangelo. That's some basketball knowledge, especially between Jerry and, 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 and your dad. You know, um, I love when they come to practice. Um, I love that they are um, engaged with our team, and I love that they want to be here and, and, and want to be watching our guys. And, um, you know, they have great wisdom. I mean, you look at, you know, all three, you know, um, highly successful, you know, in their fields. And, you know, I think any time they're around our program, you know, when you have people that are successful around your program, hopefully some of that rubs off on our program makes us more successful. Well, hey, Coach, thanks for the time. Really appreciate it. I'll be obviously see you around throughout the season. We'll, we'll do this again later on, but thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on.